What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? You're okay. You're, you, are, you are enough how you are, just how you are. And if you stopped all of the coaching and all of the things, you're still enough. Hello and welcome. I'm Carlotta Getsch and this is Waking Youth, a podcast where I sit with conscious leaders from different backgrounds with the purpose of discovering some of the tools that have helped them live a more waking life. My hope is that after each episode, we both feel inspired to live more examined, creative and courageous lives. In this episode, I chat with Laura Amigon, the founder of Ruther Coaching, an enterprise that provides coaching services to university students. Some of the ideas that resonated the most with me were befriending our fear, self-confidence versus confidence, and the learn-love-leap model. Listen in if you feel like downloading some practical tools to help you take control over your mental programming. Let's dive in. Welcome, Laura, to the Waking Youth Podcast. I'm very, very excited to be here with you today. And I usually begin uh, my episodes by expressing the ways in which my guests inspire me and remind me to make sure I'm not sleepwalking through my waking state. I have to say that you inspire me because you have this beautiful, contagious energy that really gets me motivated to keep dealing with my drama and get things uh, done. So I'm very excited to bring you here and to share your story and perhaps motivate some young souls to do a little bit of soul searching. So thank you for being here and thank you for being you. And I hope you feel home. I do. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for this opportunity. Um, and I, I appreciate that you appreciate my energy because I do have so much of it. And um, I know in our world right now, uh, there are not as many connections, personal connections um, in the physical sense, but the fact that our technology allows us to make these virtual connections and through the, your work uh, with your podcast and putting your voice out there and sharing the voices of my voice and other voices, um, you know, I, I feel like this is um, actually a great opportunity during this time to, to really continue to continue to connect um, in the hopes of, of connecting again physically at other times, but, um, but there's still, there's still great, great connections to be made. So thank you so much for having me today. That is very true. Couldn't agree more. The first question I have for you is what is your story? I'm curious to listen to your story. I know you come from a background, uh, in history and counseling, teaching, and now more recently you're a coach. Uh, you coach college students. So why don't you tell us a little bit uh, how you ended up in this world of coaching? Great. I'd love to. Um, so I went to university in the U.S. and that was kind of an assumed path for me, my family, my parents, both college educated and my sisters ahead of me um, were off to college. And so it was the natural next step. Um, so I went to a, a great college here in the U.S. 
And I never, um, you know, during that time, I really didn't know what I wanted to do professionally. Um, I knew I wasn't headed towards the health sciences, medical sciences. I wasn't super um, math driven. I was very much a a humanities communicator, things like that. And I got to college and I had a wonderful four-year experience. I was very involved in my college life, in my sport, in my studies, which I enjoyed very much. I was a history major, Latin American studies minor, but I didn't really take the time and I really didn't have the awareness to really think about my long-term professional goals. And I knew I wanted to serve in some way. I was very service-oriented. My parents both service in their careers. And so I thought I would go find, you know, some place to serve. And But then there's so many ways to do that. But after college, I, um, you know, as I was going through college, I didn't really plan. I didn't really in research. I didn't really investigate. And so... Um, in a way, I somewhat relied on my, um, you know, my kind of natural abilities to make things happen and my family's connections. And it was like, something will work out. Yeah. So I finished college and I, of course, I didn't have a job and I went home and my dad helped me get a job in a doctor's office as a, you know, as an assistant to the front office, answering phones and things like that. So I had a paycheck. So that was good. Um, But then it really was like, what am I going to do? And I started applying for jobs and I had no idea. I was lost. I was overwhelmed. I thought, what's wrong with me? I have no passion. You know, everyone said, well, what's your passion? I "I don't have a passion. When, (laughs) When was I supposed to get that? How come, how come so many of my friends and my family seem to have these burning passions? What's wrong with me? That's why I, I often said that. What's wrong with me? Where, where's my passion? Am I just, you know, I knew I was smart. I knew I was, uh, had, had personality. I knew I had lots of wonderful skills, but I couldn't, I couldn't see past, you know, getting a job to pay me a salary. So I ended up getting a, through a connection with my dad, um, got me a teaching job and up in New York. And that was also great um, to, to move away from my hometown in, in DC, in the Washington DC area. So anyway, I moved up to New York and I got a job as a teaching, even though I didn't have the credentials, it was a private school. So I was able to do it just with my college degree. And that then hooked me into the, the field of education. I, I knew I was connected to young people. I was always good with that. I had a lot of younger siblings and that was definitely a great fit. And so then my progression was, I knew education was my field. Teaching in the classroom wasn't the right fit for me. I did it for three years and I learned so much, but it wasn't the right, the right connection within the school setting. I really liked talking to the students about their, their personal lives, their dreams, their hopes, aspirations. And so counseling then became the idea for me and particularly in terms of working with students on their college planning. So especially low-income students, first-generation college-bound students. So then I went to admissions. So in the U.S., um, you know, working for colleges, but then in, in terms of admitting students to their college. So I did that for a number of years while I got my master's in counseling. And that all felt really exciting and felt like more of my, of my fit. Then I worked uh, for, uh, at a high school for 10 years as a guidance counselor. So working at, a, at an all-boys school, working with these young men in terms of their academic, social, emotional lives and their goals. And that felt all really great and amazing. Only recently in the last couple of years did kind of some pieces of my life start to come together where in my own personal life, I was learning about coaching and I followed my uh, life coach podcast. The beauty of podcasts really 
has brought me here today. So I listened to this life coach on her podcast and it changed my life. I, I made so many changes in my own personal life. And I thought, you know what, as I was learning all this, a lot of my high school students were calling me back up from college struggling. They did not have the tools to manage the new level of challenge in college, being independent, trying to really figure out what they wanted to do in their professional lives, managing the academic challenges and the distractions and all of these things. And I realized then that I had a real connection of the tools I had learned in my personal life with this group of, of young adults who really needed these tools. And I thought, you know what, this is it. It was kind of like a light bulb went on and I was like, oh my God, my passion. I was like, oh, here it is. It, but it took, it took years of layering experiences on to grow the passion. It's not as if it was a treasure that was hidden in me and one day I discovered it. It felt like a light bulb, but actually, as I look back, it was just layers and layers of my experience, my insight, my expertise, and my own growth to then lead me to this place where then now this passion, I've, I see it as that. I recognize it as that, even though for years I, I had been building it. So now in my, in my business, and then that's to add on this other challenge to start a business, which is so exciting and um, in a whole new world for me and the a lot of education people don't create their own businesses. Um, there's not a lot of overlap there, but I'm excited to make that overlap. But um, so anyway, then it was like, okay, I can help college students on my own, you know, virtually this beautiful technology we have, and I can reach students in their own lives and give them these, show them these tools and then really coach them through. That's what coaching is, is you work through how do you actually use these tools? So it's not like here, let me teach you a bunch of things and then you go off and figure it out on your own. It's let me show you, let's practice it, let's reevaluate, practice, reevaluate, practice. And then you then the student sees over week by week in our sessions, small changes with this new awareness, these new tools, starts to adjust this subtle shift in how they see the world, how they see themselves, how they show up in the world, and what they start to envision for their future shifts and mm -hmm. it just it's a whole new destination so my company is called rudder coaching r-u-d-d-e-r -E so the rudder of a ship is just that piece that when it's ever so slightly changed your destination is totally different mm. wow that's powerful yeah <laughs> it, you just make this subtle shift because that's what i experienced in my own life i experienced a shift in my thinking that's what i was taught and my, my relationship with my husband is better. My kids, I'm a better mom. I, I feel better about myself. Um, I now envision a future I never imagined. And here's to say too, my life before was not bad. It was, it was beautiful. It was actually where I was meant to be. But as I've learned these tools, it's just as if the, the horizon is expanding and I see some new things. And so it's not worthwhile to say, oh, I should have seen these things a long time ago. I should have had passion in college. I now know I, I did. I did have passion. It just didn't look like what it looks like now. And that's, and that's the beautiful journey of, of the human experience is that it, it builds over time. The beautiful journey of looking back and seeing that everything is leading somewhere. Yes. I'm, I'm glad you touched on so many points. Um, there's some things I want to highlight. I like that idea. Uh, there wasn't necessarily anything wrong with you in your life. There wasn't anything missing. 
but it was that lack of direction, right? And the lack of planning and thinking about the future. And just to share a little bit of, of, of my story, because perhaps this, this is something uh, that other people listening to this might relate. When, before I created this podcast, I too felt like I was um, living a waking life. I was showing up to classes. I was having good grades. I was um, in good terms with my family and friends. But then this curiosity that now maybe I can call it a passion started growing on me. And, and looking back, I wouldn't say I was sleeping, but what is interesting is, is, is this power of coaching because at that point when I had the idea of, of starting the podcast, I didn't want to a coach, but I did a lot of personal development and I had to make that shift because I felt like within me, something else had to grow. I had to create a new kind of mindset in order to face the challenges that were rising. And so I'm very glad that you bring this. Um, and I'm very curious to explore some of the tools that you have. But then the other thing I wanted to touch before we go there in this world of coaching um, is passion. Because I think that there's a lot of stress uh, amongst my community about this idea of passion and purpose and impact and following your dreams. Um, and so why don't you navigate, uh, why don't you walk us, walk, walk us through that, that idea of passion and how you, uh, and I like that idea that you bring of the layers, right? That something started very, very small and eventually that led to a passion, but what in your opinion is passion and what is its relation to purpose? Do you think that we create our purpose or do you think that is something that is already within us? That's such a great question. I call it passion pressure. So I did a I did a webinar and I talked with a lot of my students. They're like, I just I feel like I should already have it figured out. That's what they say. And I say, oh, you 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 suffer from passion pressure? Yes, like many many people, many young adults, but people even in their in later life suffer from passion pet pressure or passion regret. So it's a whole. It, it's a pressure that we create in our minds, okay? So a lot of people say, oh, the world is putting pressure on me. No, that's coming from your thoughts because you want to have it already figured out. We want the comfort of knowing we are on a certain and secure path towards feeling valued and feeling accomplished and feeling successful. That's what we want. And we want it not, not in a selfish way. We want to you know, we want to feel in our long, in, in later in life, we want to feel taking, you know, that we have resources, that we're comfortable, right? It's our, it's our, our human, natural human needs and desires to be, to think ahead to the future and feel safe and secure, right? Mm -hmm. And then this extra layer, layer of um, also feeling uh, like we've, like we've had purpose, that there's been value to our life. And so, because we don't know what that looks like and we cannot guarantee or we think we cannot guarantee that will happen, we think that there is a rush to figure it out. We want it now. We want the security and that feeling that we are worthy and worthwhile now. But the thing is, that comes just from mere thoughts. So no, no job, no career, no matter what you do, you will not necessarily, you cannot guarantee that you will get to that place where you find satisfaction with yourself. So the key is you have to start believing the thoughts now 
that you are enough now, that you are good and worthy and purposeful and you have value in your life right now. Once you believe that truly about yourself, it's not about what you achieve. It's not about what you do. It's not about the success you have or the people you help. It's about you valuing yourself now and feeling worthy and believing as a human being, you are a hundred percent lovable and worthy. Nothing you do will change that. Once you believe that now it's just icing on the cake, what you go do with your life. You've relieved the pressure of some kind of hurry up and find this purpose because you yourself as a human being have a hundred percent value and worth. So nothing you do increases your worthiness. Exactly. But now that you feel that way and you feel confident, guess what you're go, ready to go do? You're, you're fueled by, you're fueled by your, your own love for your, who you are and what you bring to the world. And you don't have to have a resume for love accomplishments. But guess what you want to do when you feel that way about yourself? <laughs> you want to go serve. You want to go bring your talents and your gifts to the world. because. You, you feel, and there's no rush. So the pressure relieves. Now you just get to what you, like exactly the words you say, be really curious. Be really curious about what are my gifts? What can I, what can I give to the world right now? Maybe not, it's going to look different in 10 years or 15 years. There's no rush to figure out the magic place for me. Because there is no place. So the, the, the passion pressure is believing that out there is better than right now and right here. Mm -hmm. And right now and right here, if you're fully alive in your humanity and the feeling terribles and the feeling greats, right? And that's all part of what it's supposed to look like. Then, because that's the thing is when I look back to college, I was happy for sure. But I thought there was something wrong with me that I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and I know now there was nothing wrong with me. Um, I just felt insecure. I felt eager to feel good about my purpose, but I, you know, if I could go back and tell myself, my 20 year old self is believe in who you are and your worthiness that you are enough right now. And then once you really dig into that, like what you said, Carlota, of like really hone in on that. Now it's like, okay, great. Like now, whatever I go do feels exciting and amazing. And there's no rush because ultimately I'm, 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 I'm enough right now. And and, and everything I go do from this point on is, is going to be fun and exciting and hard, you know, not easy, but you're not chasing anything. You're not chasing a passion. You're not chasing success and resume and accomplishments and accolades. And, and you're not chasing approval from the rest of the world Exactly. because you already have it for yourself. So that's, what's going to fuel you creating creating value in the world mm -hmm. as you say that um i immediately feel more space within me <laughs> mm -hmm. and it just brings me just saying these words out loud and listening to you speak i just feel so much lighter and so much more present um and you know it's funny i i went to this um workshop a couple of weeks ago with Elizabeth Gilbert, she talks a lot about uh, passion and curiosity and purpose. And one of the things that um, 
she was talking about is precisely what you're talking about, this idea that we have to have a passion and that we need to go somewhere, right? And and so people kept asking her, but, but what is, um, how can I find out what my passion is? How can I find out what my purpose is? And I've already mentioned in some episodes, well, first of all, just try to forget about passion for a second, like you were saying, just do whatever you're curious about right? You don't need to be passionate about anything. Just do whatever you want to do. And then you'll find out what you actually like doing. That's the first thing. And then to the, to the answer to the, to the question of what is, uh, how can I find my purpose? She answered, um, well, purpose is all of those things that you're already doing and that give you pleasure. That is your own one and only purpose. Your purpose is to go outside of nature and just feel how good it feels, smell, uh, touch. Your purpose is to write if you feel like writing. Your purpose is to talk if you feel like talking. Your purpose is to listen or create music if you feel like doing so. And this was so uh, freeing, right? Because again, mm-hmm. we live in a culture that just keeps telling us that we need to go somewhere, that we're not good yet, that we need to do something to get to be that good. Um, and so it, that is very powerful. And I'm so grateful that you brought this up because I think that, um, you know, it's funny as I, as I continue with this podcast and I talk to, with people who are older, um, I do recognize that I start recognizing that this is something that all of us feel, right? And even when we're older and we are achieved, um, there's also, like you said, that pressure, right, of keep doing and following our passion and doing something meaningful, but we should just do whatever we feel like doing, right? And this is very privileged, but even if we talking about the service, right, there are certain things that touch us and that make m- more sense for us to explore in your case is to help young students get, get by. And so let's go there. Let's go to the coaching and let's go to some practical tools. Mm-hmm. Um, and even before that, why don't you, uh, because I think this is very beautiful to talk about, uh, to talk about this, but what was the most challenging thing for you when you make, made the decision to change your mindset? You mean to go into become a coach or just in general when I was changing my kind of my mindset in my own life? I mean, when you made this realization that you actually don't need to be anyone else besides yourself, but that you can take some steps with the help of coaching. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Okay, good. So, okay. So let me give you the, a little bit of backstory. So, you know, in education, you know, you don't, you don't make a lot of money, right? You don't, it's, and I live in the New York city area. So there are tons of people who make a lot of money in finance, in, you know, lawyers and all these things. Now for a long time, I've had this insecurity that, you know, I'm not as successful because I'm in this field and I have uh, neighbors, friends, my, you know, then it always comes back to like the accomplish, uh, accomplishments of my sisters, like my brothers, like I, my siblings are so accomplished and, you know, it feels sometimes like, like, why am I just, I'm not enough. I'm not accomplishing enough. Mm-hmm. I should, I should be further along in my profession. That's what it came down to. I should be further along. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm having kids, I'm raising kids and you know getting them into you know all the things right and so I was doing so much right my days were so full I was so tired oh that was one of my biggest challenges is understanding what it what tired means (laughs) 
it's so simple, but I felt like, how can I go do more? I'm already doing so much and I'm so tired. And yet I did not have that sense of enoughness. I didn't have it. And then, um, and I was always, yeah. So I was always looking to the next thing or like what I could possibly do, but I never felt the true motivation to go do it because it just, something wasn't right. It wasn't clicking. Then I realized through this coaching work, when I started getting coached, so I was on the receiving end of the coaching um, with my coach, and basically she had to get me to realize that everything I do is fine, is good. Like I am, I am enough as a human being, as you said, alive in this world because of my humanity. Now I come from a faith background, so that makes a lot of sense for me. I can put it into terms of you know, God created me as a full 100% human being. And just that alone, nothing I do is going to change my dignity and my worth. Boom. And it was like, I knew this intellectually. I've been, you know, uh, uh, practicing in my faith my whole life. But there was something that was like, like what you said, that relief, that space, I started to feel it like, if I want, like, don't go do things just because I think I'm not enough. Do it because I want to and I feel good about it and I feel fueled by love for others, not by some desire to prove myself or make my resume better or compete with people. Like that just feels tiring. <laughs> That's what I was feeling. I was exhausted by this idea. So once I started to have that sh mind sh uh, shift in my own mindset, First of all, I started to feel less tired because I was choosing to do the things I wanted to do. I was choosing to show up as a mom the way that I wanted to because I wasn't trying to prove anything to anybody. I just wanted to. I was choosing to then go to my work and interact with my colleagues. And instead of judging them, which I had been doing for years, right, I stopped judging my colleagues and what they were doing and how they were doing their jobs. And instead I just brought it all inward. And I said, you know what, how am I showing up? Am I proud of how I'm showing up? Then I started to work on myself in my relationship with my colleagues. And I guess what? I started to enjoy my job so much more. You use such a powerful word choosing to choose that verb changes everything because mm -hmm. once you look at your life like a coach and you say, okay, what can we do here, right? What are the things that I can choose? What are the things that are in my control, right? And instead of just simply following the social script of how to live a life, you start choosing what you individually, as an individual, want to choose for your own life, right? And mm -hmm. this is, maybe you still want to have the same job, you want to stay, stay married with the same person or to be with the same partner. You might want to do exactly the same things that you're already doing, but the difference is that you're choosing to do them and that brings intention. And so you're being a creator. And it brings freedom. It brings freedom and it's really your human will, your human ability to use your human brain to decide to choose. That's exactly decide and choose as you're choosing in that moment to make a decision for how you intentionally want to, want to live your life. And it has nothing to do with anybody else. It has no, I'm not trying to control the circumstances around me. Now, this is not, it doesn't look as beautiful as it sounds all the time, right? Like yep. this morning when I was making my kids lunches and I'm like, why do I have to do this? Blah, blah, blah. Right. And I'm complaining <laughs> in my head, but ultimately if I take a step back and that's the beauty of coaching, right? It's whether you're 
coaching yourself. It's the same thing, self-coaching or with, a, with another person who just might see things, um, can show you some different things. Um, but you take a step back. And so I do this often with myself. It's like, okay, I'm choosing to do these things as a mom. I feel like this is my priorities as a mom. One of those priorities is to be in control of the food that I give my kids right? I choose to cook my meals for my kids. I choose to make the lunches for my kids when they go to school. Now, plenty of people choose not to do that. They choose to purchase the lunch at school, or they choose to hire somebody, like if they have a, a nanny or somebody who's making the dinners for their family. And that's beautiful choice. There's no judgment there. It's just, I'm, that is one of my priorities. So that's something I'm choosing to do. So even if I complain about it here and there, ultimately I have chosen it. And so I, I go forward um, and I, I, I don't, it doesn't make me as tired. And, and then you have to choose these things over and over again. Like you said, with a, a partner, mm -hmm. right? You choose to be with that partner and then you have to constantly be choosing it again and again for yourself, right? Because you're connected to your why. You're connected <laughs> to your why. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes in my house, I get, I get like, you know, tired of the whatever. And it's like, okay, I'm choosing to live here. Otherwise we would move. And I'm choosing to do this. And I, I want it. <laughs> Why? And then I have to remind myself, okay, then it gets me to the place of calm, right? It gets me to that place of where I'm feeling more empowered and free. Now I can move forward and act and show up in my life because I'm coming from those intentional choices. And as you say, I'm not just um, kind of blindly or unconsciously moving through my life. Um, and I just have so much awareness now and for better or for worse, right? Awareness has its own challenges. I know when I'm in a bad mood and I'm complaining that that's coming from me, there's no one else to blame, right? I think it's my kid's behavior or the, my husband's behavior. I think it's COVID's fault or whatever that I feel the way I feel. But now I have the awareness that it's how I'm thinking is how I'm, is, is the reason for how I'm feeling. Right. And so I have to be compassionate my, with myself to know that I'm not always going to have beautiful, serving, wonderful thoughts. And that's okay too. And that's okay too, because I'm, I'm a human being with, you know, um, with the negative emotion and negative thoughts. And, and I have the awareness now. It doesn't mean I'm going to eliminate all negativity from my life. It means that when it comes up naturally, because I'm a human being with a human brain, I can breathe, I can love it, I can learn, and I can, I can eventually direct myself in the right time in, and be patient with myself and, and move forward. That is beautiful. Self-compassion. A question. So let's imagine, let's create here a scenario. <laughs> and I'm going to try to create a scenario that would fit university students or young professionals. Let's say that uh, I make the decision in my life of starting to choose mm -hmm. to actively look at everything that I'm doing. Okay, what do I want to do? Where do I want to go? Right? What are those things that I would love to do and I haven't yet had the courage to do? Right? And it could be start a podcast. It could be start a club uh, within my university. It could be start a, even a startup, right? A company. So there's that awareness of I want to create this but there's also the fear, right? And so in that moment that you're about to interview someone, in that moment that you're about to give a pitch, what are some of the tools that we can use to manage this gap of our intentions and how we're actually feeling in the moment with the previous mindset that is still present? So it's a great question because often that is the 
that's the brink, right? That's the moment, really, the very moment when you decide to do something, it's what's leading up to that is usually a lot of self-doubt and a lot of fear. And the question is, when do you actually convert what you're experiencing, what you're feeling, and take action? It's a moment in time. A decision is just literally a moment in time where you, you have a million thoughts and you let all of them go except for one. And you move forward on that thought. That's a decision. So, and, and that thought then creates an action, okay, with a feeling in, in between. Okay, so the way to make, to convert that moment in time to convert is to one, you have to be aware of the, all the thoughts leading up. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's acknowledging the thoughts. And, and I give my coat, my, um, my students, um, that I coach, I go through a lot about the brain and how the brain has the two parts, the primal brain, which is supposed to keep us safe and keep in pleasure and conserve energy. My primal brain always told me you are not conserving energy. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you are not going to make it through the long haul of your life if you keep going at this pace. But that's because I was, um, for a whole lot of other reasons, I was telling myself I was very tired. But actually, mm -hmm. I realized what thoughts were creating that really tired, scared place. I've, I've cleaned that up. So you, that's so interesting. You think that your thoughts were actually influencing how you were feeling? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It is. It created that whole tired story that I had for myself hmm. big time. Now, yes, there are days where I physically feel tired, but you know, after you run a marathon and I haven't run a marathon, but <laughs> if you were to run a marathon and you feel your body's tired, yes, you, you're physically tired, but guess what your brain is probably doing? It's probably, I'm amazing. This is awesome, right? Your brain is not thinking it's tired. It feels so accomplished and successful, right? Because it just finished this major accomplishment, right? Major task. Mm -hmm. So your body can be feeling physically tired. I know there's a little bit of a detour, but your body can be phys physically feeling fatigued. Okay. But so there is that both the tired, um, in terms of physical sensations, but a lot of our tiredness comes from the thoughts. I don't want to do it. This is going to take too long. I'm not going to have time later to relax. You know, I, I don't want to do this for this person. This person's making me do this all those thoughts, guess what it tells your brain is that none of the effort you expend is, is worth it. And therefore your body and your sends the signals down to your muscles to say, Hey, not worth the effort. This is not worth. So then your muscles literally go down. Like you're sh like, like think about a task. You don't think about writing a paper. You don't want to write. No, I had it this morning. <laughs> And I was like, nope, I'm not going to give you time to complain. I'm just going to start doing it. Right. Because if you give it too much airspace, I talk about airtime and in, in your mind, if you give that thought so much airtime, guess what your muscles are literally going to do? All the energy is going to go out of it because that thought has literally just sucked the energy. And I'm not made, like, it's, it's not just hypothetical. That's actually what's happening in your body. Your primal brain is telling your muscles, don't do this don't do this. Don't have the energy for this. Okay. This is, this is not going to be good on the other side. Right. So we have to use our prefrontal cortex, the front part of our brain, which is our higher order, rational adult brain to say, listen, I know this feels not great right now. I know you don't want to do this, but I'm telling you, once you finish the paper, there is a major dopamine hit of accomplishment and productivity on the other side of this paper. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Right then your primal brain's like, oh, fine. Okay. And then it like, <laughs> like the energy literally comes back. Now you may not be feeling super motivated. You're not like, yes, I get to write this paper, but you've just assured yourself that it's, you're going to be okay, that you can do it. It's not going to feel great, but you can do it. And you've promised your primal brain, like there, you're going to feel amazing afterwards. It's like when you go to the gym. I don't know, for me at least, or if I exercise, I'm like, all right, I really don't want to do this now, but I know I'll feel great afterwards, so I'm going to go do it. So anyway, but to go back to your initial question of that fear, when you recognize that it's your primal brain that's trying to keep you safe from failure, rejection, okay, embarrassment, I hate feeling embarrassed, and my brain tells me a lot of times not to do things because I might be embarrassed because no one's going to like it or respond or whatever. So like... That's your primal brain telling you it's the modern day danger. Those are modern day dangers. This is not what human beings used to experience. Like I say, the saber toothed tiger that was waiting for you outside the cave. The modern day dangers are embarrassment and rejection and failure and feeling like we suck, right? And it that's what we're afraid of. So if you notice that your brain just wants you to keep you from safe from those things, but your prefrontal cortex can say, hey, even if this is a failure, even if I mess up, even if nobody likes what I put out there, okay, one, I'll be okay. It's not going to kill me, right? I know I'll be all right. I'll be able to pay. I'll feel terrible. It, it won't feel good, but feelings don't hurt me. Feelings are Temporary emotions are, are literally fig, um, vibrations in our body because of the thoughts I'm thinking, which is that I failed, right? That I'm embarrassed. Nobody liked what I wanted to put out there, right? But if you can recognize that the byproduct, what you gain, even if you don't get any success in your mind, right, is you've now done something you have never done before. And in doing something you've never done before, you now have a new skill. You've either just pitched something, you've learned how to do a podcast, you have connected with somebody that otherwise you wouldn't have. You have, but but really the byproduct is you have put yourself through that emotional journey of fear, calming yourself down, making the decision to do it anyway. And finding out what's on the back end, on the other side of it, which may be a negative emotion, which may be failure. If you can be okay with that whole progression, there is nothing in your life that you can't do. And if you can go through that whole progression, guess what? You're going to learn something afterwards of what went right and what went wrong. Because you could do a pitch, it's terrible, right? And then you realize, oh, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I need to present it this way. Okay, that didn't work. I wonder why. Let me find out, right? As opposed to I'm terrible. That was a bad idea. I should never do that again, right? It has nothing to do with you as a person and that value because this is where going back to what we were talking about before, if you feel secure in your worth, then what you do and how you do it, you have room for growth. You're not supposed to have it all figured out. You've never done it before. You're not going to have a hundred percent batting average where you have success every time the first time, right? That's what we want because we don't want to feel terrible on the other side, but it takes the self-confidence. So this is what I talk about. Like self-confidence is the fear up until the point of the decision. It still goes all the way through the action. So self-confidence feels terrible. 
but you keep going. You make a decision. You see what happens and you're willing to ride out whatever is on the back end of that action. Okay. And then evaluating from that place of I'm enough. Now I get to learn. Then once you learn, now is when you enjoy the beauty of confidence. Confidence is a result. Confidence is on the back end. I can't, I, I always say like, if you think you're waiting for confidence to start something or try something, you're never going to do it because that's not when confidence comes. Confidence comes on the back end when you've done it, then you feel like you have the ability, but self-confidence is your belief in yourself to feel all those terrible things and keep going anyway. <gasps> right. And you know, we're going to feel uncomfortable in our lives, whether we stay the same or whether we grow. Because as you say, and everybody's searching for, we're, we're humanly uh, wired to seek more, right? To grow, okay? So we're, that's how we're humanly wired. So if you're staying the same, that's not going to feel good. There's going to be tension. If you're growing, it's, it's going to feel good, but there's going to be discomfort and you have to go through that process I just laid out. So if you're going to feel uncomfortable either way, you might as well be accomplishing a whole lot of stuff along the way and meeting new goals and seeing what you're really capable of. Um, actually, you just made me think of two ideas that really resonated with me uh, from your workshop and the women's conference. And it was this, one of them was this idea of self-confidence self and confidence. That is so powerful. And I think that's the beautiful thing when, when we start in this world of coaching and personal development is that we find out that there's so many voices inside our head and we can actually even hold two voices at the same time. One that is self-confident and the other one who has self-doubt and they just like <laughs> exist at the same time. But it's the ability for us to step back and choose which one we're going to listen to in, in what moment. Right. And, and that idea is so, uh, so powerful of you have to have self-confidence and only when you do, you'll become actually confident because you have allowed yourself to fail and to try and to learn and to grow from that. Um, and then the other thing that I would love for you to talk about that really resonated with me in the women's conference was the um, learn love no that's the last one mm -hmm. no 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 you're right you got learn, it learn love lead and lead 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 yes yeah. yes okay so and actually what you just talked about the um the two parts of your brain the 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 self-doubt voice right and the self-confident voice that we have existing at the same time because of those two parts of your brain, the self-doubt comes from your primal brain. Mm. That's exactly where those voices are coming from. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the self-confident voice is coming from your prefrontal cortex. It's, it's not like there's something wrong with you. If you have both of those voices in your head, you have a human brain. <laughs> That's what it's meant to do. This was like revolutionary <laughs> for me to learn this. Yep. I'm like, okay. I'm a very, from like, I think I said this in the conference too, like when anybody looks at my life, I look like I'm doing amazing, right? Beautiful family, healthy, this educated. What's the problem here? Right. <laughs> but, and, and I said that to myself all the time. It's the same question that I would ask myself in college. What's wrong with me that I have all this negative self-talk, all this self-doubt. And I was like, why can't I just be grateful for my life. And I am. So why, 
<laughs> it's that back and forth of like, I am grateful for my life. I'm grateful for everything in it. I'm a happy person. So why do I have these times where this negative self-talk, the self-doubt gets really loud? Okay. Then I learned all my coaching stuff, which is you have two parts of your brain. The primal brain wants to keep you safe. It does not want you putting yourself out there in the world and getting tired and doing hard things that don't feel good where there's failure and rejection. And it wants you to sit and watch Netflix and eat food and drink alcohol, okay? Because that feels good. And guess what? The, the, the way these, the, the, our modern world has created these overloading with pleasure, these things, right? Million dollar industries designed to literally make our primal brain so unconscious and so happy and so loaded with dopamine that we can forget about all of those bigger goals that we have for ourselves. So the primal brain wants to feel comfortable and good and safe and protected. Now, this is in contrast to our prefrontal cortex telling us, no, you're capable of more. There's so much out there. You've done this. Why can't you go do this? Right? And all these things, I'm like, yes, yes, I want them. I want them. I want them. But they mean, they don't just happen, right? They, you know, some things might come more easily than others, but like, I have to work towards it. It takes work. It takes um, failure at it, right? It takes realizing when I just, you know, screamed at my kids, which sounds terrible. I sound like a terrible mom, but like I scream at my kids, right? And then I can either go feel bad about that where myself, see, they're like, see, you shouldn't try and do anything differently. You're just going to keep making the same mistakes, right? So I could think that or think, okay, why did I scream at my kids? What was happening for me in my brain? Why did I think that this, you know, and then I have to work on it and that takes effort. Okay. So the going to the, to the learn love, um, lead the learning stage, I have to figure out what my primal brain is telling me to do and what my prefrontal cortex is telling me to do. I have to evaluate those thoughts. I call it a thought download and you literally just sit and write all the thoughts that are streaming through your head, both in that fear moment, in that failure moment, any moment, even in the success moments, what was I thinking? What were the sentences that my primal brain was producing? What are the sentences in my head that my prefrontal cortex is producing? Let me look at them from a watcher perspective. You gain space. You can, you can learn them. You're learning what your brain is producing for you. Okay. Then after you do that, and people say, okay, well, meditate, yoga, do these things. Those things do not have you learn your brain. They have you, they help you calm down and, and manage the feelings that come from those thoughts. But until you recognize the thoughts themselves, you're not going to make any progress. Um, so you learn your loop, your mind drama loop, okay, that, that tension between the two parts to your brain. The way that you bring your primal brain and your prefrontal cortex together is through love is through compassion and love where you say, Hey, primal brain, I know you're trying to keep me safe. I hear you. I see you. I acknowledge the fear. I acknowledge the self-doubt. I know you are trying to protect me. Okay. And I'm going to pay attention to what you're trying to say. And then the prefrontal cortex is like, but listen, we're going to be okay. Cause we're in this together. We're one human brain. We can do this together. I'm going to be aware of your feelings. I'm going to make sure you're having self-care along the way 
so that you can feel some relief from hard things, that you can feel um, you know, some pleasure along the way. You will find pleasure along the way because ultimately your brain wants the same thing. The two parts to your brain, they both want pleasure. It's just your prefrontal cortex wants that later. It's willing to do hard stuff now to get the pleasure, bigger pleasure, lasting pleasure, real pleasure through relationships, connections, service, um, you know, approving your, finding that purpose. That is so much more pleasurable than Netflix right now. But your, your long, your prefrontal cortex wants to avoid pain. It does not want to be miserable when it's older, right? It wants to have a great, all these relationships and it wants to have that purpose later and it's willing to do the hard things now and then conserving energy you don't want to be hustling and grinding a job that you're miserable at when you're in your 70s right you don't want that so your primal your prefrontal cortex says hey primal brain let's do this now trust me there's a whole lot of pleasure on the on the on the back side of this stick with me i will take care of you along the way and that's where self care comes in is that the things like the yoga, the exercise, the prayer, the meditation, all those things, because you're giving your primal brain the real pleasure along the way so that you're taking your primal brain with you so that you're full, you're human, you're not in this tension, this battle state throughout all the journey. And then you just enjoy the journey along the way. You're not in this big rush because if you, if you ignore your primal brain and the desire for pleasure and the conserving energy and avoiding pain, if you ignore it, then you're just miserable as you hustle towards your goals and all of your, your work, your actions are just fueled by pushing the self-doubt away, push like, you know, push it away, push it away, go, 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 go because you're chasing the success to feel the worth and to feel the love for yourself. You think it's out there, but when you love your loop and you love yourself doubt and you love it and it's all part of you and you're bringing it along with you, you're going to enjoy the journey along the way and you're full and complete. When you get there, you're not miserable. It's like people, all the weight loss coaches are like, you can't hate yourself to a thin body. Because guess what happens when you're in a thin body? You still hate yourself, right? You have, to, you have to be compassionate in the body you're in now. You have to love yourself now. And once you do that, then you can want to change some of your habits and your physical, you know, and how you might physically look. But it's not because you don't love yourself. You have to love yourself first. You have to love your body first. Then you can make changes to things you love. Of course, you can change things you love right? But it's from that place where there's no rush, there's no pressure, you're taking your full self. That's the lead part then. So after you learn your loop, and you love it, you appreciate what it's for, why it's doing it, what's happening, you're totally normal, right? Your brain's working fine when you feel the two voices, you just have to get them talking together, working together, understanding each other, then you're in the place where your prefrontal cortex can say, hey, come along with me, primal brain, I'll take care of you along the way. We're going to do this and see what happens. We're going to do this, you know, and learn and grow. That's the tool, you know, that's befriending your fear, taking control of your life. And it is just so beautiful, this idea that you have to love your fear too. He's here to take care of you. You just have to listen to it and, and not let him mm -hmm. or it stop you from achieving all those beautiful things that you also want to achieve. 
Right. 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 Just listening to the fears doesn't mean you're going to act on them. And the thing is with the fear and the self-doubt is if you ignore it, it's going to get bigger. If you get into, if you give into it, it's going to get bigger because now it knows it's going to get what it wants. Right. But you, so where's the in-between is to learn it, is to hear it, acknowledge it, understand it. Okay. And then assure it that you can do this and it's not going to be terrible. Right. And you'll be okay no matter what. And I, I, I hear the fears. I see them. I'm still going to choose to do this. That's the moment where you make the decision to go forward with what you want. Okay. Even with the fears still there. I, I asked you a question in the in the women's conference, um, and this is a question I like to ask because it's a question that I ask myself a lot. So I'm going to repeat the question, but I'm also going to, I think that what you said also helped me a lot. And, and my question is, <laughs> how can you um, really know when you, there's something that you're afraid to do, right? But you're ready, right? The coaching you is ready to take on that challenge despite the fear or you're actually not ready for 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 doing that you're not ready your fear fear is real and is there to protect you right how can you tell the difference so so the question there is like okay when you when is your primal brain actually telling you something like like actually no there is there is danger like actually you really shouldn't do this yet You shouldn't do it yet, right? You mm -hmm. shouldn't do this yet. You're not actually ready. Okay. So first, the idea is when you feel that fear, okay, so your thoughts create your emotions. So when you're feeling the fear and your thoughts are there and you feel it in your body, always start with the body scan. Always start with where is this fear? Because you said like fear or nervous to excited. There's nervous and there's scared, Right. So trying to understand one, how those show up differently in your body is going to give you an indication of what your brain's trying to tell you. Okay. So if you, if nervous is like tingly in your fingers, like maybe your shoulders are creeping up a bit. Okay. And you, you feel like, like there's some tension in your muscles and like, you know, maybe your heart rates live a little quicker, right? Maybe that's what nervous is for you. So at times when you, when you know you're just nervous, right? Okay, know what that feels like in your body. Name it, name it intentionally. Now you've got that tool in your toolbox of that, what nervous is. Now, scared might, is, it has to show up differently in your body because your primal brain is coming from a different thought that's, that's saying scared, okay? Like jump off an airplane, right? And you have no parachute. Mm -hmm. Now, what does that feel like? If I was imagining myself in that, it's panic, right? It's like, no, I can't, I, I can't breathe. Like the air can't get out of your lungs, right? Or into your lungs. And then my stomach. So your stomach actually has, again, I'm not a like, scientist here, but this is from my coaching and from how we, how we use these tools. But, but it's physically true. Your, your stomach is lined with receptors, neuroreceptors that eventually that go like in this direct line to your brain. So when you have a gut feeling, it's because your thoughts are actually directly going into your belly and receptors are picking something up there. Your brain's sending it some message. So like from, if there's like a sick feeling in your stomach, like 
bad alert, right? No. Okay. Then the idea is what question is, or what thought is producing the fear. And if it's really like, if the fear is like, you know, you, you are not prepared for this. Right. Um, or, um, and sometimes versus like, you're not sure if this is going to work out or like you might mess up, you know? So you kind of have to evaluate for yourself what the thought is and, and how strong and how true it feels. I always go to worst case scenarios, go, go to that place, go to the place of what is the worst outcome that could happen. And am I okay with it? What, what's my byproduct? What could be the best outcome of this? So I know that in that you know, cost benefit analysis here, my worst case scenario to my best case scenario, it's not so bad on the worst case. So I can go forward, even though I feel nervous. Now, in a worst case scenario that really feels like so bad that you will not be okay in that worst case scenario, then maybe you're not ready to do it. And that's okay too. Again, it's Mm -hmm. not plowing through and you don't take the primal brain with you. If there's something your, your primal brain is telling you is really not good, that's the learn. That's the love. Okay, I'm not ready for this. What do I need to do to get ready to do that then? Okay, maybe I need to do this, this, this. Maybe once I do those things, now let me check in with my body. Am I in that fear, panic, can't breathe mode? Or am I in that giddy kind of nervous? I don't know quite how this is going to go, but ultimately I'm able to to take that step forward. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You know, I, I I like to explore always this question because I, I, f- I always felt like this was something so so strong in me. You know, this fear was so real. And, and I had moments where uh, I felt that panic, right? I even once in a class, I had a panic attack. It was my first panic attack. I've had anxiety attacks before, but it was just so uh, kind of absurd because there was no absolute reason for me to have a panic attack. We were having in the middle of a class. I wasn't even giving a presentation or anything, but it just happened, right? And I think it was just the accumulation of tension, right? Mm -hmm. Because I was so stuck in this this loop of like, I can't feel fear. Why am I the only one feeling this fear, right? I, I don't want to feel this fear. I want this out of me. And because I was fighting it so much and I was not allowing it to flow through me, that's why I was so tense, right? And now... Uh, it's what she said that self-compassion really is key because I really even if because most of the times the things that we are afraid to do and when that fear is real that fear is 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 always produced by our thoughts right by our beliefs and we can always like you said think of the worst case scenario like most times the, the worst case scenario is not that bad right but sometimes actually you can't just deal with that fear right and it is okay to just take a step back and say okay I can't do this yet, but I know why I want to do this. And if you really connect it to your why, then eventually mm-hmm. you will keep trying. You keep taking the other steps in order to get there. And so I'm thank, mm-hmm. thankful that that you really explained that and and mm-hmm. you you really brought to this to this podcast beautiful tools. Um, so thank you. Yeah, I was just gonna say really quickly that the panic attack, the anxiety attack, is the fear of feeling anxiety and what's anxiety is the fear of failure or rejection or pain 
right? And so it's the fear of pain. It's literally like, if you like my, we just got flu shots. Like my son was freaking out before he even had the shot, right? If that's what a panic attack is, is you're so afraid of anxiety that now you have completely compounded it. You've made it 10 times worse because you're afraid of the anxiety itself as opposed to just the anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. So whenever you feel that time, you have, you cannot fight it. It comes from fighting it. It fights, he, he was fighting the doctor and the, the needle, mm. right? If you just relax and let the needle come in, it's not that bad, mm-hmm. right? And so just breathing through and, and evaluating, learning what your brain is telling you in that moment, what are you afraid of? And then you go through that whole learn, love, lead. Then you can relax into the fear, acknowledge the fear. And it doesn't mean it goes away. It just lessens the intensity of it. It just brings down the intensity and then you're able to move through it um, in a way that ultimately makes it so much shorter of an experience. So then you're able to kind of keep going with, with what you want in your life. I just like to say Mm -hmm. that about the panic attack, because I know a lot of people have had those. Mm -hmm. And before our last question, um, I'm going to slightly alter the question that you already answered about what would you tell your 20 year old self and I'm going to change it what would you say also to the 20 year old Laura but what do you say to your inner inner kid when he's trying to when he's feeling insecure right Mm -hmm. and and you've already talked a lot about a lot a lot of tools but what Mm -hmm. what would you like for all the kids kids out there to know and what do you wish someone had told you You have to talk to yourself the way you talk to your best friend, the way that you talk to somebody you love. And we're not used to that. We have, we hold, we talk to our friends in a much kinder, compassionate way than we talk to ourselves. And I started to shift the way that I talk to myself. Um, And really what that is, is again, I'm I'm beating a dead horse here, but that prefrontal cortex to my primal brain is what I'm saying. I'm like, what are you afraid of? what are you afraid of? You're okay. You're, you are, you are enough how you are, just how you are. And if you stopped all of the coaching and all of the things, you're still enough. And so it's not better out there than you are right now. And that just brings literally, like you hear my voice, right? It's just, it's a change in how people say, oh, I want to, you want to live in the moment. That's how you live in the moment. That's literally when living in the moment, it's a, it's a catchphrase these days, right? Live in the moment, which to me used to be like, Oh, just like have another drink or like, you know, enjoy another episode. Right. Or no, live in the moment is what are you afraid of? Laura, you're, you're going to be okay. You're okay. Now nothing has gone wrong here. Nothing has gone wrong here. You are okay. You are enough. So I talked to, I mean, for me as a mom, it's easy. It's easier to think of like, you know, my, my kids, like, what do I say to them when they're scared? That's what I say. Like, what are you afraid of? Not, it's going to be okay. I mean, I can say that to myself, to them. I say, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Tell me, tell me everything. I want to know you are okay. You're, you are enough. This is all 
temporary or things like that. You know, for, for a lot of people, we tell our best friends, you know, they give us an idea and you're like, Oh my God, you should totally start a podcast. You're going to be amazing at it. You're going to be so <laughs> awesome. I would love to listen to your podcast. Right. Like, you know, you would say that to a friend. Why don't we say that to ourselves? And maybe that little voice does tell us, but it's not as loud. And so we amplify, mm. we amplify the voice in our head that comes from the place of worth and love and compassion, just like we would to a best friend. So I think that's another great tool is if my friend was telling me this, what would I say to him or her? If my child was telling me this, what would I say to him or her? You know, and that's, if for some reason we're able to, because we're driven to, to, to serve, right? That is part of our, our human, our humanity as well. But, um, I think a lot of times we, um, we think that we should be harder on ourselves because if we're not hard, hard on ourselves, then who would be, who will be right. One of my clients said this the other day, well, if I don't push myself, who will? So why do you need to push yourself? Push? Well, it says, it says, well, I, I asked her, I said, well, how does that thought make you feel? She said, pressure tired. So there's that word pressure and tired is how that thought was making her feel. So I said, I know you think that that thought is serving you to accomplish your goals, but that thought is not serving you because it doesn't make you feel good. That's the primal brain. So telling you, this is not good. Don't do that. So, so then it's going to be a fight. So the question is, what's a thought that's going to serve you? And, and she said, um, okay. So we had to work on it. Right. And I didn't want to give her a thought because her brain needs to come up with it. And so her thought was, I'm going to figure it out. That's what she came up with. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it. Out. I said, how do you feel when you think that? She says, I feel calmer. I feel more in control. Her kind of, she relaxed, her shoulders went down. I could see it. If I don't push myself, no one's going to right. Versus I'm going to figure this out. Right. Oh my God. The shift in her face, everything. I said, that's the place that you're going to create this amazing life for yourself and everyone around you in the world, not pushing your, I mean, again, it's how it shows up for you in your body. How does it feel if that mm -hmm. thought is serving you? Cause there can be a lot of thoughts that sound very good, right? That sound positive and good, but if it makes you feel terrible, it's not serving you. So it has to be a thought that really you can believe and feels motivating and good and positive that's sustainable that's going to be your sustainable because again you're bringing your primal brain with you it's it feels good that's a thought that's going to serve me in the long run now i'm going together i'm not fighting that desire to feel good in my body that's that's what's happening there thank you and last but not least how do you make sure you're not sleepwalking through your waking state yes um the way to do it is to understand and learn your mind. The more you learn what's in there and you just get in there, it's like a closet that you just have to open up and take all the stuff out, right? And you just learn it and you get to, once you learn it, that's the awareness. That's where you come out of a dream state is where you learn what's in your head, okay? Then again, you go to love. You love what's in your head. You don't have to feel, and you don't have to change everything that's in your head. You just have to learn it. Once you learn it and you love it and you know 
where, where, why it's there, where it came from, right? Um, that's where you can start to unpack, okay, I believe this because my mom taught me that. I believe this because society tells me this. Okay, I believe these things. Beliefs are just repeated thoughts in your head. They're just thoughts that you think over and over. They anchor down a little bit more and they become beliefs, but they're still thoughts. So you can change a belief. You can, you can let go of something you used to believe and you can give airtime to a new belief. And then, which is just a new sentence in your head, a new thought that you practice. Now you have a new belief system that you've chosen to just bring it back to what we started the conversation with. You've chosen that belief for yourself now. So as young adults, this is a key part of waking into your adulthood is to go through everything you believe and say, is this serving me? Why do I believe this? Is it serving me? Do I want to keep it? Do I want to give it to airtime? Or do I not want to give it airtime? Do I want to give something else, another thought, another belief, airtime? That's going to wake you into the consciousness to go in, because now it's your own, you've taken ownership over your own thoughts that really serves you best, that makes you feel like your best self. Guess how you're going to show up in the world? You don't have to worry about finding your passion. It's just going to unfold. It will happen. You can trust yourself because you're aware in your own mind. You have a managed mind. There's no way you're not going to have uh, find your passion. It's the opposite of passion pressure. It's passion creation. You're creating your passion through this awareness mm. because every step along the way, you are so authentically you because you've chosen the beliefs that serve you. You've chosen the feelings that you want, right? And you are just going to do what you are meant to do and that's your purpose and that's your passion so you don't have to be afraid of not getting it you you are it now exactly because you're so aware of what you're the gift that you've been given with this this human existence thank you laura this was awesome <laughs> i love it thank you so much for the opportunity carlota if you hadn't started your podcast if you hadn't overcome your fear and made that decision we would not be here today. I would not be able to share this with your listeners. So I thank you for, for that self-confidence that you had um, to start this podcast, uh, which is so beautiful and is going to reach so many people, um, you know, and for my opportunity to also go through my self-confidence to be here, um, to be with you. And then, and then look what all, look at all this amazing stuff people are, we're going to go do. So thank you so much. Exactly. Thank you so much. I will leave all the relevant links in the description of this episode, including how you can reach out awesome. to Laura. All right. Thanks so <laughs> Thank much. Bye-bye.